Last week we looked at chapters 39 and the first six verses of chapter 40. And we looked at the actual fall of Jerusalem, where the city was breached, where the enemy army conquered the city, and uh, they are hauled off into captivity. And Jeremiah, though, we looked at how God vindicates his own, and that Jeremiah was set free to either go to, to Babylon and to live there or to stay in this area. And I think I want to just start tonight with this, that you see, Jeremiah, if he would have went to Babylon, he would have been treated well. Uh, even though the Babylonians were a multiple worshiping uh, different gods and different deities, uh, they considered very serious, though, what the God of the Hebrews had, had done. And so Jeremiah could have went there and, and probably uh, had a, a, a large group of people uh, to minister to two. And, and I kind of think of it like this. In, in, as a pastor, I have so many friends that every time a, a seemingly better opportunity comes along, they jump ship, right? A bigger church calls, a, a higher paid position. And what Jeremiah chooses to do is Jeremiah chooses to stay with the people that are left. And who were the people that were left? The cream of the crop, right? The, the most wealthy, the most famous. No, right? It was the poorest of the poor, right? The people that society had said didn't matter. And so we see here that Jeremiah's heart is really that of a shepherd, that he loved God's people and he didn't just take the next best opportunity. And so that's where we finished in chapter 40, verse 6. And, and we'll just, uh, just read verse 6 then here because it sets up where we're at. It says, Then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah. I practiced this name all day and I'll still mess. And I've, I've even got it broke down into what's it called when you break down into each part you're supposed to say. and Syllables, that's right, yep. Uh, Gedaliah. I've even got it right here with little lines under it. But anyway, um, I've, I've cried. But uh, uh, the son of Akim to Mizpah and dwelt with him among the people who were left in the in, in the land. And this Gedaliah is who the Babylonians chose to rule over what was left in um, Israel. The, the people that were left. And so Jeremiah says, just like he's been saying this whole time, I'm going to support the king that the Babylonians put in power. I'm going to be a loyal servant. I'm, going to, I'm not going to revolt and rebel. And so he says, and this is where he goes. Apparently they were friends or had some kind of a relationship. And so tonight if you're taking notes, and I need to find... Does anybody see one of those papers that we passed out? Because I've got the answers, but I don't have the questions. And so, that's my kind of schooling right there. But I want to talk to you tonight about how selfishness leads to ruin. And I say that because Jeremiah has modeled what it looks like to not be selfish, right? Jeremiah gave up everything to do what was right. He gave up everything numerous times to be faithful to God and not to make it about himself. And Yet, the leaders of Israel were always selfish, right? Revolt, rebel, fight. And and if tonight you and I need to realize something, that selfishness affects all of us. There is not a person on the planet who does not struggle with selfishness. 
whether it is wanting to be right in an argument, wanting to be recognized in a crowd, wanting to get their way at home or work or church. Selfishness affects every single one of us. And tonight I want to show you that selfishness leads to ruin. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to start in verse 7, and I want to show you this, that you, you can be faithful in difficult situations. Because it's easy sometimes to point the blame at everyone else to blame our situations. But look what it says here starting in verse 7. And when all the captains of the armies who were in the fields, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah, the son of Hakim, governor in the land, and had committed to him men, women, children, and the poorest of the land who had not been carried away captive to Babylon, then they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, Ishmael the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, and Jonathan the son of Korea, Syria the son of Tanhummeth, and the son of Ephah the Netophite, and Jezaniah, the son of Makatihak, I don't know. <laughs> I've practiced all day, and I get up in front of you, and I have a brain freeze. I sat in my office and practiced, and list, I listened to it on my phone, and the Lord humbles us all. <clears throat> and their men, and Gedaliah, the son of Akim, the son of Shaphna, took an oath before them, and their men saying, Do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. Don't miss that statement. We've heard it a lot. As for me, I will indeed dwell in Mizpah and serve the Chaldeans who come to us. But you gather wine and summer fruit and oil, put them in your vessels and dwell in your cities that you have taken. Likewise, when all the Jews who were in Moab among the Ammonites in Edom and who were in all the countries heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of Judah and that they had set over them Gedaliah, the son of Ahim, the son of Shaphan, then all the Jews returned out of all the places where they had been driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah at Mizpah and gathered wine and summer fruit in abundance. And so I want you to think about this. Just like uh, we are seeing today in Afghanistan. It's, it's absolutely remarkable that that's where we're at tonight and what we are seeing. Just like what had happened is this. The nation of Israel, all of the soldiers were not just in Jerusalem. Some of them were fighting in the field. Some of them were fighting in other towns. Some of them had retreated to the mountains to hide, um, kind of very much similar to what the Taliban did when the United States uh, military took over that country. Um, and uh, they, they hid. And so what has happened is Babylon has left. The army has left. And the cockroaches have come out. And they have realized that we can come out and maybe have some semblance of a life. And they realized that this man who uh, had been appointed apparently was a noble man. 
right? He tells them that you're going to have amnesty, right? You can farm, you can gather the crops, you can go about your life, but you need to be loyal to Babylon, to the leader who set this up. And in this moment, Gedaliah is showing us that you can be faithful in a terrible situation. I mean, he has literally been given the authority and leadership of the world's poorest, most broken, defeated people. And he says, you know what? I'll deal with them. I'll deal with the Babylonians is what he says. I'll be here at Mizpah and you go back to farming and building your lives again. And tonight I think that's amazing because... One, I wouldn't want the job of being in charge. Because I don't know if you know this or not, these people, for whatever reason, had hid or had fought in other countries. Some of them had been driven to other countries like uh, Edom and Moab, which were wicked countries. We know the Bible tells us that even they're not even supposed to go there and to make that their home, but yet they went there to avoid the judgment that God had brought. And so this is not like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick which people I want. These are the, the leftovers. And here he is leading this group of people, this ragtag group of people, right? Some of them were soldiers. Some of them were farmers. But yet, Gedaliah was willing to be faithful even in the midst of this, right? He knew that many of the Jewish people viewed him as a traitor because he was put there not by them, but by a foreign power. It's kind of like if you've been watching the news um, recently, the, um, the leader of Afghanistan this week did what when the Taliban approached the capital? Jumped ship, didn't he? Right? Because they did not view him as what? The legitimate ruler. And what would have happened, do you think, if he'd have stayed? Absolutely. And so I want you to think tonight that that's what the situation he is in. He has been placed in the position of authority by a foreign power who the hometown people hate. And he says, I will lead you. I will be here for you. I will do what is required of me so that you can have a life that is somewhat blessed. This idea of being faithful in difficult situations. How many of you are better off financially today as adults than you were raised because of the hard work and sacrifice of your parents? How many of you had opportunities that your parents never had, but yet because they worked two jobs, they, they sacrificed different things, they were able to send you to college to make your life better? And I think that's what all parents want, right? We, we want our kids to... To, to live in a country, we want them to serve God and we want them to be faithful, but we want them to be blessed more than we are. I think that's a, a healthy parent, right? I don't think you want your kids to torpedo and be a disaster. I don't think that's a right assessment of that. But that's what he says here. That he says, I will stand in the gap for you, but don't miss this in verse 9. Do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be what? Well with you. Do you remember what Jeremiah told him over and over and over again? If you'll just submit and do what the king says, it will be what? Well 
for you. And so tonight I want you to know that whether you are in a difficult situation at home, whether you're in a difficult situation at work, whether you are in a difficult situation with church, you can be faithful regardless of the circumstances. You see, Gil, Gileliah, Gideliah, excuse me, could have said, you know what, they don't care about us, I'm in charge, I'll do what I want, you can go uh, collect this stuff and bring it to me, right? And I'm going to tax you and rule over you, but he didn't. And so tonight I want you to know that you can be faithful in difficult situations. You say, well, Jake, I can't be faithful because things are so bad. It doesn't matter. You have a choice to make whether you are going to be faithful or not because I want you to show you the exact opposite of that tonight. And if you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, all is the word for that blank. All people can be selfish when they want control. And all of you are probably starting to think, oh, I know some people like that. Boy, I worked with them. It, it, they wanted to be in charge all the time. And some of are sitting by someone that you're married to and you're thinking, oh, I know what that's like. Please don't look at them. I do not do wedding counseling or marriage counseling very well. And so don't leave here worse than when you got here, okay? But, uh, but all people can be selfish. Every single one of us. You say, not me, Jake. I don't care about getting my way. If it comes to the right situation... You want your way. I want my way. And so look what it says here in verses 13 through 16. Moreover, Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were in the fields came to Gedaliah at Mizpah and said to him, Do you certainly know that Balas, the king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael? the son of Nathaniah, to murder you? But Gedaliah, the son of Achim, did not believe them. Then Johanan, the son of Korea, spoke secretly to Gedaliah in Mizpah, saying, Let me go, please, and I will kill Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, and no one will know it. Why should he murder you? so that all the Jews who are gathered to you would be scattered, and the remnant in Judah perish. But don't miss this. But Gedaliah the son of Achim said to Johanan the son of Korea, You shall not do this thing, for you speak falsely concerning Ishmael. Now, there are two things here. One, Ishmael absolutely we're going to find out, was coming to kill him. We don't know how he found out about it. We don't know what it was. But most Bible scholars believe that Ishmael would have been of royal, royal lineage. And he probably wanted to be in charge. And Johanan here was a military commander. And so he had some desires to be in charge. Not necessarily to overthrow Gedaliah, but both of these men saw a power vacuum and wanted to be what? In control. And friends, you will see it at work. You will see it at church. I have seen 
people leave the church because they didn't get a job that they wanted. I've seen people leave the church because they didn't get to spend as much time with a pastor as they used to. And some people leave because they spend too much time with a pastor, but that's a, a whole other topic. I've, I've seen people leave because they didn't get their way. I, I've seen it at, at work. I've seen it in church. All of us can be selfish when they want control. And especially if we think we're doing the right thing. You see, both of these men thought they were doing the right thing. Ishmael thought that Gedaliah was a traitor. He was a sellout. And they needed a real, true, blue Jewish boy on the throne who would fight for the nation of Israel, who would tell the Babylonians they could, they could take their stuff and get out. And this other gentleman, for whatever reason, had realized that we just got ourselves whipped, right? We don't need to be revolting. We don't need to be fighting. We just need to be doing whatever it takes to survive. And so he goes to Gedaliah and says, let me go and murder him. I want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this tonight. It was absolutely true what was going on. And this man wanted to go do something that the Bible says he shouldn't do, right? He shouldn't have went and murdered this man, even though this man's intent was wrong. But yet, we see here what happens when people are selfish and want to be in control. They will do whatever it takes, no matter the cost. Right? How many of you have looked back in your life and said, my intention was right, but boy, I went about that the wrong way. Or boy, I knew my heart was in the right place, but I wish I wouldn't have said it at that moment, at that time, in that place, because whoo! I'm still tasting the sole of my shoe in my mouth, right? And that's what we see here. And so honestly, I believe that, and scholars disagree on this. Some say that they were both power hungry. Some says that, that, uh, uh, that, uh, that uh, Johanan was not power hungry. He just wanted to do what was right. But yet, he could have done a lot of things, right? He could have said, let's go arrest him. Let's add guards to your protection. Let's find out more and, and do whatever was necessary. But he says, no, I want to sneak around and kill him before he gets here. And so tonight I want to ask you this simple question. Are you doing what you're doing for the right reasons and the right way? You see, I've seen it in my own life. When I feel that the people that I love have been wrong, I will do whatever it takes to make it right. Right? When I feel that the church has been hurt, when I'm in my own flesh, I will do whatever it takes that I think to make it right. And sometimes God says, I don't want you to do anything. Sometimes God says, I want you to do something different than what you're thinking. But I want you to see here tonight that all people can be selfish when they want control. Whether it's in marriage, whether it's at work, all of us, if we are not being led by the Spirit of God, listening to the Word of God, will do whatever it takes to be in control. Thoughts. I never thought I would have a harder time praying for a president than I did for Barack Obama. But I do. Today. I'm, and I'll be honest with you. And, uh, and not so much him, but sometimes it's her. But anyway, uh, I, I'm, it's true. But we are called to pray. I, we pray that the Lord would save them, that the Lord would reveal to them truth and and, and what this is, but yet here we see that 
even though we, I believe that his intention was right, he was willing to sin to accomplish his purpose. And friends, no matter how pure your motives are, if you have to sin to get what you think is right, it's wrong. You say, well, my integrity is under assault, so I'm going to badmouth them back. It's not what it says, right? It says don't. Just let them do what they do. Vengeance is whose? Sayeth the Lord. And so I want you to see that tonight, that all people can be selfish because when we read this, we think, oh, what a bunch of heathens. But all people can be selfish. Third thing I want to show you tonight is that being naive can cost you everything. So while you shouldn't be sinning to accomplish what you want, being naive can cost you everything. How do you spell naive? Ah, the way I spelled it brought up a bunch of French words, all right, on my computer. But uh, anyway, uh, I'll let you ask someone smarter than me, but I Google it, and so I know how to spell it. But being naive can cost you everything. So look here in verses 1 through 3. Now it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the guy we're just talking about, the son of Nethniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family. See, he thought he was entitled to be in charge. And of the officers of the king came with ten men to get Eliah, the son of Ahakim, at Mizpah. And there they ate bread together in Mizpah. Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him arose and struck Gedaliah, the son of Hakim, the son of Shaphan, with the sword and killed him whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Jews who were with him, that is, with Gedaliah at Mizpah and the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war, he killed them. And so I want you to see this, that being naive can cost you everything. You see, being aggressive and sinning to get what you want is wrong, but yet also listening to the warnings that God gives us is wrong. And I want to sum it up to you like this. The Bible tells us that as a church, we are to pray and to welcome back any sinning Christian or brother or lost person that God sends us, right? We pray that God sends us the most broken and hurting people. That way He can change their life. But what does the Bible tell us to do with a divisive person? To mark them and have what? Nothing to do with them. You say, wait a second. On one hand, we're supposed to welcome everyone but if someone calls themselves a Christian and is divisive, we're to have nothing to do with them. Why is that? Because the person who is lost and who is broken is going to do what? They're going to do lost things, right? But yet they are also under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, hopefully, and that God is working in their lives, that God is going to save them. But the divisive person thinks they have no sin thinks they're right with God and doing whatever they want to accomplish what they want. And that, friends, is a dangerous place to be. And so the Apostle Paul writes about it and other writers in the Scripture says there's a difference. 
And you say, well, Jake, you can't deal with divisive people. You just have to love everyone. Then look up here. It'll end up destroying whatever you're a part of. How many of you have ever worked with a divisive person? If you didn't raise your hand, you were probably the divisive person, just so you know that, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody. Yeah, right? And I'm not going to even ask if you live with a divisive person, right? You went to church with a divisive person. And how easy is it sometimes to say, there's nothing we can do about it, there's nothing we can say about it. And that doesn't mean we run around becoming Pharisees, uh, picking off everybody that disagrees with it. That's not what we're talking about here. But what we see here is, he was so naive to not heed the warning that was given to him that it not only cost him his life, but everyone around him that had been put there for the purpose of leading God's people. And so tonight I want you to hear that, that it doesn't, it, it is applicable or applicable in every situation that you and I need to hear the warnings that God gives us. Because if we're so naive to think that my sin won't have consequences, friends, you are mistaken. All sin has consequences. You say, well, Jake, you know, uh, no one else knows about my sin and so it won't cost me anything. Friends, you're being naive. You're lying to yourself. You say, well, Jake, I can, I can live however I want at work because I don't go to church with anybody that I work with and so it doesn't matter if I'm a lazy employee or uh, use filthy language or talk inappropriate. That doesn't matter, right? Because none of those people go to church with me. None of them know me, so it's not a big deal. Friends, you are naive. I always pray that God saves someone people work with like that and then sends them to church. You know why? Because it makes them real uncomfortable. Or when God brings someone into your life that you work with, it always, always cracks me up when someone will ask me, does so-and-so go to your church? Because everything in me knows, oh, this is either going to go really good or it's going to go really bad. <laughs> right? One of two ways. It's never, yeah, they're just an all right person. I just know them by chance. No. It's usually, I work with them and they are such a wonderful example of what a Christian's supposed to be and, and they were there for me when I lost my family member and they were always praying for me and helping me and, and I'm like, yeah, right? And then other times, other times, <laughs> it's like, oh, that person's got the most filthy mouth, tell the dirtiest jokes, cause the most trouble, are the most bullheaded, the most stubborn. And in those moments, I always say, I really think they go to the Methodist church. But no, I'm, I'm kidding. That's a joke. That is just a joke. 100%. I send them to the Pentecostal church. But anyway, no, that's it. Yeah, I, yeah. He's not here to enjoy that one. And I, no, I'm kidding. But what do you say in a moment like that? I always say, hey, we're all sinners. We all fall short. If you spend enough time with me at work, you would see some of that out of me, right? Hopefully not very much, but, you know, that's the way it is. And so I don't always say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'd trade them for nothing in return, right? No, I don't, but that's how it is. And so tonight I want you to know that being naive can cost you everything. It's kind of like this. If you don't care for your marriage, eventually it will cost you your marriage. If you don't care for the children that God has given you, it could end up costing you everything. And so tonight I really want you to see this because he had the warning and did nothing. The other person had the warning and wanted to do the wrong thing. And so there is a happy medium there where we listen to God, 
we heed His warning, and then we are faithful to respond. And so thoughts. Has being naive ever cost you anything? Has me, right? Have you ever thought, I never thought they would do that? Has anyone ever said that about you? I never thought they would do that. I've had to apologize to do, to do, for doing things that I thought I would never do. That's just the way it is. Because all of us can be so naive that we think that there are no consequences to our actions, thoughts. The fourth thing I want to show you tonight is that selfishness is never satisfied. Selfishness is never satisfied. So look what it says here in verse 4. So they've murdered them, right? They have murdered the people that were with him. And in verse 4, And it happened on the second day after he had killed Gedaliah, when as yet no one knew it, that certain men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria. Eighty men with their beards shaved and their clothes, clothes torn, having cut themselves with offering and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. These were people who loved God and were heartbroken that the temple had been destroyed. And they were going to worship God and they might have had some... Uh, idolatry with the temple, but we don't know. But it says they were doing all the outward signs of what it looked like to be in mourning and to be repenting and being right with God. And so to bring them to the house of the Lord. Now Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, went out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went along. And I'd underline those five words. And it happened as he met them that he said to them, Come to Gedaliah, the son of Hakim. So it was when they had came in the midst of the city that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, killed them and cast them into the midst of the pit, he and the men who were with him. But ten men were found among them who said to Ishmael, Do not kill us, for we have treasures of wheat, barley, oil, and honey in the field. So he <coughs> excuse me, desisted me and did not kill them among their brethren. Now the pit into which Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men who he had slain because of Gedaliah was the same one Asa the king had made for fear of Basha king of Israel. Ishmael the son of Nethaniah filled it with the slain. Then Ishmael carried away captive all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah, the king's daughters and all the people who remained in Mizpah, whom Nebzeradan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Ahim. And Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, carried them away captive and departed to go over to the Ammonites. And so, excuse me, Ammonites, yes. And so I want you to hear about this. Not only is he selfish and want to be in charge, these people who are coming to worship God, we don't know if he was afraid, the fact that they would find out. He, we don't know if he was, if he was just so uh, bloodthirsty and wanting to be in power. We just don't know for sure. But he does something. He puts on some crocodile tears and he marches out there acting like he's sad. Look up here. You can cry all you want and it doesn't mean you're right with God. 
I've seen some of the best drama plays ever performed in the church. And I don't mean like the Easter play with Barabbas. And it was a good Easter play, by the way, but I have seen people just cry and cry and cry and cry and get up and do the exact same thing they were crying about. And that's what he does here. He is deceitful. He goes out to them and he says, it's terrible what has happened in Israel. It's terrible that the temple's been destroyed. It's terrible all of these things. Why don't you come and, and tell your burdens to, to the leader, to, to Gedaliah, and, and, and maybe he can help and maybe he can be there for you. Well, one, he faked sorrow. He lied knowing that the king was already dead. And he brings these people who had done nothing wrong, who had no ill intent, and he murders how many of them? All of them, except for the ten who what? Could offer him something. You see, selfishness knows no bounds. One, he wanted to be in charge. Two, then he wanted it to not be known. Then he wants more of these possessions and then what does he do with the people after he's in charge? He takes them and starts marching them to a pagan, heathen country. Why? Because he knows if this gets back to the people in charge, I'm not going to be charged anymore. And so I'm going to take what little I have and I'm going to take it and run. And see, selfishness is never satisfied. I've seen it in my own life, right? You want something, you want something, you want something, and you get it, and it's not what? It's not enough. It's not satisfying. And that's why what you see in our country today, the, the love of things, right? If I just had more money, I'd be happier. If I just had more extracurricular activities to do, I'd be happier. If, if I just had more things to do, right? If I had that... 13th four and the fifth camper and the seventh motorcycle and then I would finally be happy, right? And, and that's but it never is what enough, and that is because it's all selfishness. You see, that's why when I gave my life to Christ, myself had to what die to self. It's not about me anymore. It's about what God wants for my life. It's about what God wants for my marriage. I'll never forget I, when I worked at uh, General Tire for one summer after uh, uh, high school, I wasn't married. You know, I had never experienced the benefits and blessings of being married for all these years. And, uh, and it was just a single young guy, you know. And I worked with a guy who, who was on his um, fifth divorce. And I think he had kids from every single one of those. And uh, we were sitting outside and, and taking a smoke break. And, and, um, and I asked him one time, I said... Uh, I said, how much of your check do you get every week? And he said, very, very little. And he showed it. And I said, uh, is that enough to live on? And he said, no, no, not really. But he said, you do this and you do that. And I said, uh, I said, you, you, you care to ask what happened? And uh, I'll never forget it. I, a grown man was not a Christian said, I was never satisfied. The grass was always greener on the other side, right? We were married. We fought. I worked with somebody who was maybe a little younger, maybe a little prettier. We got along better, and so we move over here. 
But you know what? After a little bit of time in the same situation, huh? The grass got brown, right? It was the same thing. And this is a true story. And he'd say that it would get bad. And then maybe she, maybe she wouldn't be satisfied anymore. And so then she would move on. And, and he said, this has gone on and on and on. And he says, I said, what are you looking for? He said, I have no idea, but not another woman. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I said, I can believe that at this point. But it was his idea. And that's how we live. Our culture lives, right? If you're not happy at home, just, just trade them in for a newer model. It's like cars, right? You don't like it. The air conditioner's not cold enough. Get a new one, right? And, and, and that's how we are. It's the same way we are at church, right? Well, sermon's too long. Sermon's too short. Sermon's too loud. Sermon's not, pastor's not dignified enough, right? And, or whatever it is. And, and someone didn't shake my hand and on all these things. And it's never enough. And you see, the only true satisfaction comes from knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. Resting in the fact that you're a child of God. That it doesn't matter what the world says about you, the world does to you, the world takes from you, they can't take Him from you. It doesn't matter what the world says about me. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. It's what God says about me. And you say, well, Jake, I just I need more money. If I had more money, I could retire and then things would be better. I'm guessing that you might not like what you got at home if you retire, right? It, it, you might not get along as well now as you do when you're not there. One guy told me, he said, I work 80 hours every week. And he said, I said, why? He said, I, he said, I don't know how Jezebel's lived this long, but she's at my house. And I thought, oh! And that's how how many people live. That's what he said. I worked for some unique characters. Those were never church employees, by the way, that have said that. But uh, those were all in previous employments. But that was his mindset, right? I'm not going home. It's awful at home, right? How many times have I heard from teenagers, now don't miss this, who don't want to go home because things are so bad at home. And they're just looking for someone to love them, someone to care about them, somewhere where mom and dad are adults and parents and and there's this idea. And so tonight I want you to know that selfishness is never satisfied. There's never enough alcohol to fill the hole. There's never enough money to fill the account. There's never enough stuff to fill the barn. Right? Jesus even told the parable about the man who built bigger barns, right? He had so much stuff that he was going to build bigger barns and he was going to retire and then he'd be happy. And the Lord said what to him? You fool what? Absolutely. And so today, you need to know that God is enough. right? I have to, be a, I have to know in my heart that it doesn't matter I'm the pastor of this church or I don't pastor any church, that my identity is not in you. My identity is in Him. I'm, I'm thankful to have six daughters, and, and, and when I go anywhere now, I'm their dad, right? I'm Kylie's dad, or Andrea's dad, or Jayla's dad, or Tinley's dad, or Lydia's dad, or Leslie's dad. And I'm okay with that, right? But how many times when the kids are all gone, then the marriage, which was built on the children, crumbles. You see, you have to know who you are in the Lord and know what He says about you, or it's never enough to satisfy. It does? The kids are gone and it gets better? <laughs> yeah, Dave's daughter. <laughs> but thoughts, 
Or is there any truth to that? Has there ever been a time in your life where you thought if you had something attainable that that would satisfy the longing to realize it wasn't? Last thing, and I'll quickly come to the end. Fear will lead you into disobedience against God. Fear will lead you into disobedience against God. Look what it says here in verse 11. When Johanan, so this is the guy that wanted to save the king, wanted to kill this evil man. You know, he's got to be thinking, huh, I told you so, right? But when Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard of the evil that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had done, they took all the men and went to fight with Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah. And they found him by the great pool that is in Gibeon. So it was when all the people who were with Ishmael saw Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces who were with him, that they were glad. Then all the people whom Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah turned around and came back and went to Johanan, the son of Korea. So you see, all these people who were taken captive and were afraid of their life were marching with Ishmael until what happened? Someone came to save them. And they turned, it says, they turned and came around. It doesn't say that they broke off their change. Most likely they went with him. Why? Because they were afraid. They were afraid that the Babylonians were going to come back and they were going to be there with no one to defend them. They were probably afraid that if they didn't go with Ishmael, they'd end in the bottom of the pit. And yet when this person shows up, they turned and came back. But listen to what it says here in verse 15. But Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from Johanan with eight men and went to the Ammonites. Then Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him took from Mizpah all the rest of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after he had murdered Gedaliah, the son of Akim, the mighty men of war, the women and the children and the eunuchs whom he had brought back from Gibeon. And I want you to stop right there. Just right here for a moment. He was victorious in battle. It doesn't even say they fought. He says Ishmael saw someone coming and he cut and ran. And so right here, right here, Johanan has a choice, right? He can either do what God and Jeremiah had been telling them to go back to Mizpah, to obey the Babylonians, to do what they were supposed to do, and it would be what for them? That W word. Well, but fear drove him to do something that God never told them to do. And they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimam, which is near Bethlehem, as they went on their way to where? Egypt because the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them, because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had murdered Gedaliah, the son of Hakim, whom the king of Babylon had made governor in the land. The very same thing that Jerusalem was destroyed for, the very same thing that the nation of Israel was judged for, constantly seeking help from somewhere else, constantly not trusting in God. 
What had got them in trouble earlier when they went and fought with who? The Egyptians. They changed their loyalty and the Egyptians got smacked around. And here they are again afraid, fearful, and instead of going back to Mizpah where Jeremiah was and where the people of God were, they wouldn't go. Right? They start to flee to Egypt. And friends, fear will lead you into disobedience against God. And next week we're going to look about the fact that God even tells them through Jeremiah, don't go to Egypt. Don't go. And yet, they were so afraid that they what? They end up in Egypt. And I'm going to tell you the end of it, even though we're going to study it. The Babylonians end up coming where? Egypt. And the judgment and the punishment that they tried to avoid, they couldn't run from it. And friends, you can try to run from your past. You can try to run from your sin. You can try to run from your mistakes. You can try to run from the things that you're ashamed of, but you can never run far enough. That's why the Bible tells us, and it's so wonderful, one of my favorite verses, right? That Christ died for the ungodly, right? Jesus died knowing your sin and mine. And not just the ones that everybody else knows, the ones that no one else knows I've ever committed. He died for me knowing that, right? He died knowing how wicked we would be. And friends, it says that if you will confess your sins, that He is what? Faithful and to what? To remember them, right? To judge you for them. To shame, no, to forgive you. Huh? No. no, you were right. But I want you to think about that tonight because you and I have a choice. Just like we see in this story, you can be faithful in the most difficult of circumstances. That all of us can be selfish. That being naive and thinking that sin doesn't have consequences can cost you everything. That thinking that everybody that's in your life is there because they love you is a mistake, right? We have bought into the lie that as long as someone likes your post on Facebook, that they care about you. Every conversation you have, and I actually had this conversation uh, with someone this week, and this statement was said, and I'm like, ooh, I was using this for a night, that you ought to have every conversation with someone with the anticipation that they're probably going to share it with someone else. It's just the way you have to live, right? Most people do not care about your well-being. Right? And so you have to start believing that and believing that if you find someone that you can trust and someone that loves God and someone that will walk with you and, and grow with you, then be thankful. But there's only one person who will never fail you. and His name is Jesus. Don't forget, selfishness is never satisfied no matter what it looks like. And finally, fear. Fear will lead you into disobedience against God. What you're afraid of the most, you cannot stop any other way unless, giving, unless you give it to the Lord. And so thoughts as we finish chapter 41. Yes, ma'am.
Yeah. He had eight men. Yep. So I don't know if two maybe jumped ship. Probably. I'm guessing two jumped ship, probably. But I, we don't know that I, that I know of. No, no. It doesn't say that they fought, and if they did have a great battle and only two people died, you know, that's a, a pretty bad fighting right there. But So I'm guessing they probably just turned, turned and ran, if I was guessing. But that's a great question that I can't answer, so... I could make it up and be like, well, the Bible doesn't say, but the Lord revealed to me, but I don't do that. That's where heresy starts, and you should run fast if that's what happens. Yeah. I hate when people say that. Well, the Bible doesn't say it, but I feel like the Lord... Look up here. Run from people who think that they can add to what God says. It's a scary, scary thought, but I don't know. So I wish I did. <laughs>